Welcome to the I Am Podcast. My name is Carl Weaver, and I am the website content manager at I Am. If you have any suggestions for the I Am Podcast, you can email me at carl.weaver at iamovers.org. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. We want to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash iamovers slash message. I will also put the link in the show notes so you can click on it right there. I am recently had a webcast about lithium batteries in the moving industry and what people need to know about shipping them uh, for government clients, including the military, Department of State, etc. And this is the recording that we did. We hope you'll enjoy it. We figured out that you don't actually need to see the people who are speaking in order to get a lot of information from them. So please listen, and I know you will get a lot out of it. Welcome, everybody. Appreciate everybody's attendance here. Uh, my name, again, is Dan Bradley. I am Director of Government and Military Relations. And today joining me is uh, Mr. Pete Kramer. Pete works in the Department of Transportation at the Transportation Safety Institute as the Multimodal Safety Division Manager. Great to have Pete with us today because we're going to get into a discussion, as you all know now, about moving used lithium batteries or, or products containing those, those used lithium batteries in a household goods shipment. Um, Pete has 30 years of experience in transportation and training of hazardous materials regulations. He's been with DOT for the last 20 years, but before that, he was in the Air Force. I wore my light blue Air Force blue shirt today for that, um, but he's been with DOT for the last 20 years. Um, before we talk to Pete, we're going to get into a few administrative items, and I'm going to give Mr. Chuck White a chance to uh, say a couple of words as well. Chuck? Okay, great. Um, somebody said not getting audio. We'll check settings. Please, please, George, we want you to check your settings. So I, I just wanted to take a second, and then I know you all will say, thank God, we don't have to hear from Chuck today. Um, but I, what I wanted to do is thank Pete. Pete has been unbelievable in the giving of his time to Dan and I over the last month or, or a little bit more. We've met with Pete one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one um, a number of times to help us to get a better understanding of what the landscape is, what the regulations are, and we, we found that He's an amazing resource, and I'm and I'm hoping hoping you will be able to get at least the tip of the iceberg today from Pete. And we're going to continue to try to engage with Pete on some further training, some further opportunities that we would engage with him and you uh, to be able to help us meet the mandate that has been set forth by U.S. Transportation Command in the DOD arena. And if you're involved with GSA and or Department of State, they are also looking at this question on the mo appropriate movement of lithium batteries in used household goods shipments. So this is a government-wide initiative and we need to come to some better understanding. And, and I believe Pete's the one who can help drive us 
in that direction. So Pete, thanks for joining us today. But even beyond that, thank you so much for all the time that you've given us over the last uh, five, six weeks or whatever. So thanks. Back to you, Dan. And I'm out of here. All right. And um, again, what, before we let Pete talk, let me run through a couple other administrative items um, that we need to get through. So um, if you don't want to see everyone's on the on this everyone's face on the screen at the same time you can toggle to the speaker view in zoom and just see us speaking um additionally so we're not picking up background noise as we go through this uh unless you're speaking if you could please mute your microphones we would appreciate that um as a reminder you can share your comments in the chat and uh, we'll try and keep up with some of those those uh comments or questions if you'd like to uh uh, ask a question to Pete, though, raise your hand or, or, or again, ask in the chat and we'll, we'll do our best to keep up with that. Um, one last thing, I think, before we get into the session, we have to do our uh, I am antitrust statement. So uh, bear with me here to ensure that I am complies with the antitrust laws. We've adopted the following antitrust statement. Discussions, comments, presentations during I am functions must not, one, refer to any past, present, or future rates, prices, or anything related thereto. Two, include any reference to marketing strategies. Three, including discussion of boycotts of any person, product, or firm, or four, inhibit any members, employees from discussing employment with other member companies. And please, if you feel like we're getting into the, any of those types of uh, conversations, let us know. Um, and then additionally, I think Chuck kind of kind of broadly mentioned it, but we're, we're going to try and work Pete into our, our IEM annual meeting and have a session there, and our, our schedule is chock full, but uh, uh, we're going to try and get into this lithium battery conversation at our IEM annual meeting in Atlanta, Georgia from two to five November. So look for that on our agenda and as we uh, as we kind of do those updates. So purpose of the webcast here, we're just a, a few days away from industry submitting comments to Transcom on the 2023 rate season business rules. So hope that's something that, that many of you and your companies are working on. It's critical that you get your opinion in on, on those proposed new rules and the policy for how to manage shipments that contain lithium batteries, which are, as we all know, becoming more and more prevalent in household items, let me say it, is one area that Transcom needs to hear from industry about, you know, um, what are your capabilities? What are your challenges? What are your concerns? And, and so hopefully you guys are spending some time on working up um, all of the business rule changes, but, uh, but since we're talking about lithium, um, your inputs on that as well. And Pete and I are working on a, uh, in a working group formed by Transcom with other government agencies. Uh, again, Chuck mentioned GSA, Department of State, uh, obviously DOT with, um, with Pete's group, uh, as well as uh, Pipeline Hazardous Material Safety Administration representatives, NDTA, ATA, MSC, to develop some possible courses of actions on this topic. Um, I think the intent was to have a federal response to this on how you ship household goods, DOS, uh, GSA, DOD. I, I don't know that we can get there. I don't know if all those three agencies will necessarily agree. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens on that. So based on his, his background, his current duties, Pete brings us that perspective on the requirements to ship products containing lithium batteries and, and the kind of training he's, uh, he's uh, in the training world that would be required to meet some of those various regulations um, like you find on this topic in, in the Code of Federal Regulations. So Pete, I'm going to pause, let you maybe set the stage. We have some slides from you so we can get into that first, or you can uh, give a little more of your background or, or your thoughts on this. I'm going to turn it over to you for your, for your thoughts. And if you want slides, just say, put the slides up. All right, we'll do it that way. I'll just let you know. But again, my name is Pete Kramer with the Department of Transportation. Um, and uh, 
just a little bit about TSI is we work for the Office of the Secretary of Transportation in the DOT. So we're not quite as large as the DOD. Um, we have about 70,000 employees, but we are, uh, the DOT has kind of uh, been the, the law enforcement side or the regulators, they also write the rules, which in that meeting that you were mentioning, Dan, we have the uh, FIMSA, the Pipeline Hazardous Materials Safety Administration uh, that's uh, attending that also. So they, they are giving good feedback and stuff on that too. Um, but what TSI is the Transportation Safety Institute, and we've been uh, around for uh, 51 years now, and we're in Oklahoma City, um, and we're basically kind of like the training arm to the Department of Transportation. Um, and I've been there for the past 20 years. So that's just a little bit about uh, the Transportation Safety Institute. We're a pretty small organization. We have a total of about 40 employees. And as a whole, all of us do about uh, 25 to 30,000 students a year in training. And as I put in there, we train about 6,000 in the hazardous materials world. So, and that may be anywhere from you know, the lithium batteries, which is a, a, a topic now, but I mean, we do infectious substance, radioactive, any of the nine hazard classes, 17 different courses, and uh, many variations of those classes. So that's a little bit of about TSI. All right. So what I was, Dan, go ahead. No, you're good. Keep going. Pete. Okay. So what I was going to do is I, I put a, a few slides just to to go over of who's in the regulation, how did we get into the requirements? Once I go through that, then I'll answer anybody's questions. Uh, one thing about lithium batteries uh, that a lot of people say, oh, that's not regulated or this is here, but really everything is regulated under the regulation as far as hazmat. Then we get some exceptions depending on quantity and types of materials and things like that. And that's where we'll fall into some of the smaller quantities of lithium and stuff. So uh, we'll talk about those also if you have certain questions and things on them. All right, Carl, you want to put the slide up? And I just, uh, I put this in and said, welcome to TSI. We had already talked about being part of the DOT uh, at the headquarters and it's about lithium batteries. And like I said, uh, this is just a small portion of uh, the, the training for us, but it's a, a large uh, portion for you guys. Next. All right, so in the regulations, it has um, where, who is regulated, when they're regulated. So basically I, I put in red here, it says the, this applies to the regulations who transport hazardous materials in commerce. So. A lot of us may be transport companies, some of us may not be. So in that case, the first statement catches anybody that transports anything that goes into commerce. And I always say what commerce is, is if you are putting it on a common carrier or a private carrier that's going down a public road, you probably get into commerce that way. A lot of people say, well, if I'm making money or not, it's really not up to the rules to determine if you're making money or not. I always say there's other people that do that, right? Um, and usually we don't do it for long if we're not. So that's kind of my uh, thoughts on that. Uh, the next one is it says a person who causes hazardous materials uh, to be transported in commerce. And to me, this catches about everybody else. So if this is the person that is offering it uh, to be picked up, the people that are packing it, 
anything like that, it, to me, falls into that they're causing it to be transported. And then the third one, it says this law authorizes the secretary to person persons who manufacture or maintain a packaging or component of a packaging that is represented and marked certified. This really wouldn't fit into anybody that I know uh, with you guys, except when we have to package something, we have to make sure we put it in the appropriate packaging. But this is more to those who are selling them and stuff like that. So probably the second one I talked about uh, falls into uh, that. And then the last one there says, uh, transport law applies to anyone who indicates by marking or other means of hazardous materials being transported in commerce uh, is present in a package or transport convenience uh, when it's not and to anyone who tampers with the package and so on. And then it says commerce is or required as marking, labeling, placarding, and shipping. So that's that's who gets us in or how we get into the regulations. Um, next one. So to see, a lot of times people will ask me, I would say yes to that question. All right, and then for, so what I was thinking on the, on this next one is pre-transportation functions. A lot of times people will say, well, who, what functions uh, are determine whether or not we're in the regulation? So we talked about that it causes it to be transported. Then I put it in red here. It says who, oh, go back one slide. Uh, it says who performs or is responsible for performing a pre-transportation function. Pete, don't worry about trying to answer those. We'll, we'll, bring the chat we'll do that after we're done. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll bring the, right, so, the chat questions to you. That's fine. All right. So, and then it says, including uh, each person performing the pre-transportation function. So that's good. So, and then um, it's determining the hazard class, selecting the package. So this, this is where the pre-transportation side of it fits in. So if anybody that is doing any of this, so let's say that I go to pick up some household goods and uh, they say they have lithium batteries. So in this case, I'm grabbing the lithium batteries now am I selecting the packaging? I have to make sure does it need to be in the what type of packaging, what rule it fits under and stuff like that. So that would be yes on that. Next slide. And then it says filling a hazardous material. A lot of these are just really simple things that you can say, yeah, they do that. You know, secure the closure on a filled or partially filled package, mark the package, label the package, preparing a shipping paper, providing and maintaining emergency response information, reviewing the shipping paper. Next slide. Uh, for each person importing, uh, it says that they need to make sure they comply with the United States rules, uh, certifying that a hazardous material is in proper condition. And then if it falls into this loading, blocking, embracing of hazardous materials in a container or transport vehicle, segregating hazardous materials. I wouldn't think 13 would fit in much because pretty much as I, I know the household goods forbid the transportation of any other hazardous materials. 
So really the segregation part doesn't come into play on that. And then because of the quantities and types of stuff, we won't get into placarding and stuff like that neither. So Pete, can I ask, so based on this list of what you just went through in those pre-transportation functions, are you saying that what that means then is if you fall into one of these one through 14, then you have some requirement in training, is that? in? It in could be training. It depends on, you know, when you look into uh, lithium batteries specifically, it says uh, in certain situations, you can be accepted if it's like the 100 watt hours or less, 300 watt hours for domestic, you know, those types of things. There's some exceptions to the training, but pretty much without the exceptions, you're required to have training. And that's where this is saying that. Copy. So that's all I have with the slides. All right, so I'm going to go back to real quick to a couple of chat questions um, to kick this off. Um, and, and I think you answered the one already, but I don't know that if everybody kind of got that. So um, let me go back here. Is the DOD therefore considered a person, quote, causing hazardous materials to be transported in commerce? It would be more to the individual than the DOD, I believe. Okay. Because the DOD, you know, and, and that's a, there's a gray area in there because they're, they're paying the individual or reimbursing or whatever you may mean in there. But I would say that they would go to the person that is causing it to be transported. Um, and then each of the people that are involved in the transportation uh, stream also. And then continuing in the chat here real quick then. So how is that, how is the customer themselves, right? Um, they, they have a, a product to use lithium battery product and they're getting their household goods moved. Now they're getting it through the DOD um, or the, or again, federally GSA or Department of State or somebody like that. But um, how are they, are they in the regulation uh, in, in that terminology or, or no? Technically when they offer it. So if they're not allowed to offer it, right? So to me, the way I would see it is they would need to properly identify it to those who are picking it up. So that way, those who are picking it up can make sure that they proper, you know, follow the proper rules for that particular item. Uh, I don't know how, how that would actually work out, tell you the truth, but yeah, I understand that. But I mean, do you see, and I think that's coming out in that working group also, right, Dan, of yeah. where they're talking about, um, uh, of when it's identified, uh, you know, how, how, what's the procedure from that point on um, to that also. But also there's some, recognition you know when you're packing stuff you know if you see a see something that doesn't look right don't pack it kind of thing and i think that's probably pretty normal now with other things that you guys are not allowed to transport also like i'm just going to throw this out here i don't know if it's true or not but ammunition and and firearms and things like that you probably have certain procedures of things you can uh carry or not right 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 um Allison asked, why would we not get into placarding if it's required for electric vehicles? So Department of Statewide or GSA, sometimes uh, on the DOD, there's a contractor that moves all the uh, personal, per, uh, privately owned vehicles. And sometimes though, on the, in the other programs, um, the, the TSP is, is working through that process. So the, the, you're talking about placarding vehicles or placarding, the, are we putting it in a transport vehicle, like a freight container or something? Is that what we're go, talking about probably to go overseas into a sea van container on a on a vessel 
Okay, so that that would be a that's not a, a 49 requirement that would actually be an IMDG. So mm -hmm. what I was reading under was CFR 49 uh, parts 100 to 185. It is required to be placarded, but there is a rule that says it's accepted from placarding because you don't have to placard for class nine. Copy. So, um, so okay, yeah, real quick, uh, I'm going to jump in in the middle. So you've used some terminology that I want to make sure everybody's understands. So the CFR 49, the Code of Federal Regulations, that's a regulation that, that focuses in on the movement of lithium batteries. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And, and that's that where, that's just, that's where Congress gives us the authorization to regulate the transportation of hazardous materials is under parts 100 to 185. Gotcha. And I think some of the critical elements in this for, for this group to understand is what maybe the exceptions are for the movement of lithium batteries that would not need any uh, placarding, et cetera, that, that are exceptions to the rules. Can you talk about different wattages, you know, the the uh, adding up all of the different wattages to reach a threshold, those, those kinds of things. And, and Pete, can we frame that first on trucks staying in the U.S., right? Domestic okay. truck. Movement. Do we want to concentrate on that for at, at least on first? this answer right now? Yeah. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't, I should have uh, went ahead and uh, cut and paste some stuff out of there, but it comes right out of the, the CFR 49 and the reference that I'm using, it's uh, 173-185 uh, C, uh, C, and that says exceptions for smaller cells or batteries, and that'll give you the requirements of where you can get the exceptions to the rules. So it would be 185, and, and I should have pulled this up and I forgot, I didn't do that, I apologize. Um, but it says in here, a uh, hundred watt hours or less, and there's actually uh, an, a further exception. If you're just moving it by highway or, or vessel, um, then you can go up to uh, 300. Wait a minute, let me make sure here. I may have misspoke. Um, yeah, not vessel, highway or rail, you can go up to 300 watt hours. I said vessel, I didn't mean to, to say vessel, but that's so it's up to 300 watt hours. So that's uh, where the, the cutoff is of where you don't get the exceptions. And what I mean by the exceptions is if typically you ship a, a hazardous material, lithium batteries, you have to put it in a UN approved type box with proper markings, labels and everything on that package. If you get the exceptions, then it takes away some of those marking requirements, packaging requirements, and also takes away uh, the UN specification requirements of the package. So what I, what I think I heard you just say is, if we have batteries, lithium batteries, in a household goods shipment that fall below the 300 watt hour measurement, then we do not 
have to placard the boxes in which well, they are that's contained? two different things. Placarding is for vehicles. Labeling is for packages. All right, labeling. Thank you. Okay, so on the labeling side, what I have seen, and typically what I've seen has been packages arriving at my door that have lithium batteries in them, usually from the manufacturer, and those have labels on the outside indicating that they an item containing a lithium battery is in this box. Yes. I'd, I'm pretty sure those are not, they're not used batteries, number one, and they're coming from a manufacturer. Is there a difference between packing used lithium batteries and how they need to be labeled versus new lithium batteries from the manufacturer? Not, not per the regulations. Some carriers and stuff will put some restrictions on uh, used and damaged and things like that. But per the regulation, it doesn't really distinguish between new and used. Now damaged, yes, but not, not on new and used. It, it just says it must be uh, packaged in a certain manner. So like for, like for this, uh, if we're going under the exception, you're correct, the lithium battery marking. And then it says for packaging, and I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but it says lithium cells and batteries must be packed in inner packages that completely enclose the cell or the battery, then placed in a strong rigid outer package. And what we call a strong rigid outer package, if you keep going down in this, it says must be capable of withstanding 1.2 meter drop, which is four foot roughly, it's 3.9, um, without having any damage to the batteries or cells or what you're shipping. And then it says, uh, without shifting of the contents that would allow battery to battery contact or without release of the contents of the package. So um, I have a, can I share my screen? Sure. Okay. You should be able to, Carl, he can do that, right? Is, is it open? Uh, working on it. Okay. I went by, um, I've been, ever since I started talking uh, with you, Dan, um, I went by and I got some pictures of stuff and things. So I was just going to give an example um, of this to answer the, the questions about uh, how much is the 300 watt hours and all of that stuff. You should be able to share now. Okay, let me find, um, hold on, I need to go in and open it up. Hold on a second. So while you are, are doing that, we've seen a lot of questions coming through, um, things about, and, and I think we ought to get into that, SOFA regulations, uh, you know, on the movement of overseas for the DOD, um, you know, the different watt hours and, and the like. So, um, and if you're going to show some items that have I, I think the different watt hours associated with them, that that would also help. Yeah, that's what I'm, I've got some idea. Uh, so just give me a second here. Sure. Um, uh, I'm just trying to make sure that I can get it to, sh I'm sorry, make sure I can get it to show here.
Come on. All right, so here, let me share my screen. So here's, here's one that I took just the other day um, and it's from a, a power tool, right? So in this case, this is a 20 volt. It says it goes up to 60 volts from 20 to 60. And this is what I think I was talking with Dan and Chuck about that they're increasing whatsoever. So this says it's 20 volts up to 60 volts. So how do I know what the watt hour is? On this package, it actually says it's 120 watt hours. But if I take it out of the original package, how would I know that um, as a, a packer or someone that's getting ready to ship it, right? So in this case, the, it's the amps times the volts gives you the watt hours. So since this one uh, is 20, 20 volts, it's up to 120 watt hours. Um, but if it goes to 60 volts, then it would be 360. So depending on what the, the watt hours and it needs to be on the battery itself. All right, so it's gonna be marked on the battery too, the watt hours. Uh, so that's uh, just an example of that. So that was one of them. Let me see if I can get another one to open up. And then this is another picture I had, and I think this will help answer. You'll have to, uh, uh, have to stop sharing and then reshare. Yeah. Oh, it didn't. Oh, no, I thought I had it come or it would pull it. Okay, hold on a second. How's that? Now Did you got to pull it up? You got to reshare. Oh, okay. And, and capture it. I know that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Love Zoom. Yeah. Okay. How's that? Yep. Gotcha. So this one is the four amp with 20 volts. So they're actually 80 watt hours per battery, right? For those um, two of them. And then two of the other ones are two amp hours for 20 volts. So there's 40. So really you have two batteries with 40 watt hours and you have two batteries with 80 watt hours. So when, when I'm figuring this up, it's per battery, not per package. Right. So when they say 300 watt hours, that means per battery or per device or per piece of equipment, not not per uh, package, if that makes sense. So if and that's that was another great question that I've come across from people. 300 watt hours changes it into a different higher category that has further requirements associated with it. But yes, you but it's not adding up all of it doesn't sound like not adding up all of those. And if they are over 300, then you've crossed that barrier. It's for each individual item. Is yes, that correct. Yes, that's the, the, the 100 watt hour and the 300 watt hour. Those requirements are per per battery and per device. Gotcha. Gotcha. So. You can stop sharing there, I think. Um, okay. He, and, and I have a lot of questions in the chat and I, I think there'll be good ones to get to. Um, I, I also see Oded waiting with his hand up and no, he was not necessarily first since he's visual. I guess we'll, we'll let him ask a quick question here to Oded. Thanks, Dan. Hi, Pete. Um, hi. hi. So um, quick question for you. We, also, we all often see uh, enforcement follow issues, right? When, when the certain issues occur, 
typically enforcement ticks up. Now, a lot of us have been in the household goods transportation business for a very, very long time. Um, COD is what we call um, our business with the general consumer. And, you know, I've had trucks on the roads with household goods for, you know, decades and never had an issue where DOT stopped one of our trucks and asked any questions about lithium ion batteries or hazard related issues. I've also haven't really heard of situations where those batteries leak and explode, causing a fire, ca causing a serious incident. And my assumption is the reason why there isn't greater enforcement because there isn't really that big of a problem. So specifically on the Kona side, domestic moving, you know, why are we really getting into this right now when it's been being done the exact same way for a very, very long time without a specific, you know, policy for lithium ion batteries? We're moving people all over the United States. No issues. Is this really a lot to do about nothing? Well, here's what I'm going to interject real quick, and I'll let I'll let Pete answer the a lot to do about nothing. But he's not the one making this an issue. Right. So I'll I'll answer that part after he answers that. Is it a lot to do about nothing? The, the requirements, and I'm going to go back to 1996 in um, the value jet incident of where the oxygen generators caused 110 passengers uh, to, to crash into the Everglades. And prior to that, we did not, and I was just starting of training and doing all this good stuff back then, but prior to that, we could not get the maintenance folks to to do the training because they said they're carrying it on their own planes and there's no harm no foul and then we had the value jet incident which could have been relieved in my opinion uh with a five cent plastic cap and follow the rules of the regulations that was in in place so that's just one example i'm not going to say that it is that way but if there's a, a a reason it's in the regulations it's regulated if it hadn't been enforced properly and stuff, I can't answer that myself. Um, but there are uh, requirements in place that says that they do meet those requirements and we have to follow certain uh, requirements to ship that. And so and so for the larger crowd, and Odette and I have had this conversation in the past, so I think he already knows the answer of what I'm going to give. But, um, you know, this became an issue for me and a, and a couple of TSPs all the way three years ago on somebody overseas who was trying to ship an e-bike where the um, uh, a used e-bike with the battery where some one of the um, steamship lines wherever they were contracted with said we won't take it and they went back to the uh, the CIPSO and they said hey steamship line won't take it your member wants to move what am I supposed to do and they were told there are no requirements so move it or be suspended and that's where we got involved it was the move it or be suspended part and that was really a focus on at the time it was e-bikes because those are the bigger batteries that we were at least hearing about anyway obviously other ones were out there but but they're getting bigger as pete just showed and uh um more prevalent as time goes by um but but that's how we got into it and then i guess if i'm the dod gsa department of state and i'm going to make a regulation for a requirement for something international and then totally disregard any domestic portion of that um i don't know i, I wouldn't want to be that administrator in a federal program who closed my eyes to regulations in the domestic and just handled the ones in the international. And then the other other thing I would say, Oded or, or, or anybody else, because again, it's a common question. Other people have asked uh, very similar questions to me about this. This isn't the Dan Bradley show. I'm not trying to uh, start a lithium battery uh, industry here by myself. Uh, we're just kind of reacting to what members have come to us with on, on issues that they've had. But uh, 
I'm in receipt just this week of a truck that was moving, not DOD, not federal, but commercial uh, with an IEM member um, from Toronto to Mexico that burned up because of lithium batteries in West Virginia, uh, ruined their entire shipment. So um, it happened. So you were looking for an event, Hodad, and I got one for you. Um, there was a, there's a trailer that burned almost all the way through and uh, people lost all their stuff and we're getting engaged now because the TSP who didn't take the proper precautions is trying to run away from it and say they have, there's nothing that they can do about it. So, um, so it, it does happen and it'll just take one or two more and we'll all get really engaged. But I think we're gonna, we're getting there anyway, frankly. Can I ask a question then? Yeah. It, uh, Pete, is there a solid definition for when lithium batteries are classified as hazardous materials? All lithium. Yeah, it's it's all lithium batteries um, fit into it, but they give exceptions to like button batteries. Um, and everybody's familiar with what the button batteries are. They're like uh, they're in your remotes, like your 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 uh, car remotes, or or your if you have your self-starting cars, they or they have those uh, hands in there, or your watches. Those are button batteries. Those are those are uh, accepted. But basically, any other type of lithium battery um, is going to fit. Now, there's two types of lithium batteries. I didn't get into that, but you have your lithium ion batteries, which I think that's probably going to be one of the greater ones. But the way I determine between lithium ion and lithium metal is if you have to plug it in, it's lithium ion. If you don't plug it in, it's a metal battery. So like a, an example of a metal battery would be just double A, triple A, something like that would be just a real good quick uh, metal battery or something that might be used for um, like electric trolling motor or, or, or a battery for a tractor or something like that because they're getting more and more lithium batteries like that. That would be like a metal battery. But anything else that you plug in, and if you guys think about it, what you have on you today, how many people have a, a like an Apple Watch or, or a smart watch, or they have their phone, or they have uh, uh, different devices that you carry? And how about uh, some may be having like the AirPods or the EarPods? Uh, you put that in the, the case, which is actually a battery also. So, I mean, there's several of those things that you can just think of that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. But let's let let's bottom line it here. It, it, and we need to separate, I think, domestic and international. Okay. And so domestically, all of those things that you just detailed for us, the watches, the laptops, et cetera, et cetera, the smaller items that are below 300 watt hours and are yes. moving over the highway or the rail. It more and more is sounding to me domestically like as long as we pack them appropriately in the using the appropriate material and boxing, that beyond that, I'm not sure that there's much else that needs to be done. Okay, so when you said when you receive stuff at your house, right, it has that marking that yes. says UN 3480, 81, whatever it might be, correct? 
So yes. in the regulation, it states that if you have less than 300 watt hours, let's stick with that domestically, okay? Yeah. Which let's take a, our package of batteries that was 120 watt hours. So it's less than that. I'm going to put that in a box. It's not in the original package. So I wrap it up. I put it in the box. If that's the only package in the consignment, then I really don't have to put any uh, that UN 3480 or 81 that you receive that marking, I don't have to put that on the box. But what it says um, in the regulation is if you have uh, two or more, more than two packages per consignment, now you have to put that marking on the outside of the box. Okay, well, that, that, that for me is illuminating. <laughs> so, uh, and then I would say, so if we had multiple types of batteries and we will particularly with the lawn tools and things like that that are more and more people are going to those kinds of rechargeable lithium ion stuff if we put that all in one box which i was always thinking that we shouldn't be but if we properly wrap it put it in a box that meets the requirements and there's only one box we don't have to do much of anything as long as long as the batteries are three or the device is less than 300 watt hours and you can protect it from uh, short circuiting or it has safety devices like a laptop, it's going to have an on and off switch, right? And it's usually protected when you fold the, it over or it's harder to, to turn on and off. And in that case, yes, that would be a, a, a correct one. And But um, the, the second... The, the other thing you said, though, uh, you said about a weed eater or a leaf blower or whatever, those batteries, what I've been checking, they're anywhere from 50 to 60 volts, and they're gonna be eight amps on the average. So they're gonna be over your 400 watt hour uh, deal. So they're not gonna fit into the exception under 300 watt hour, even domestic. Okay, so it, again, you need to do your formula, figure out the number of watt hours, and then if they are over, 300 then there's a whole nother lane that we need to go down and 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 so if if you will for this group this is just the start of this and we're all going to have to become much more in tune with the regulations and the exceptions and all the different options that we're going to come across and make sure that there's a flow down to the individual individuals that are actually walking in the door so training it, i think is going to be necessary particularly as these become more and more pervasive and we iam are going to try to do this multiple times in person virtually maybe with some written material coursework that people can follow to be able to answer those questions. So I, what I don't want today is people will go away from this and go, oh my God, what am I getting into? That there's more to come. We just wanted to introduce some of these concepts to you. Well, what I would say at the same time, Chuck, is I think people should walk away from this saying, oh my God, what am I getting into? Because Pete's been doing this for 30 years and, and the requirements for him to spit out per regulation and per watt hour and, and all those kind of things, it, I, you know, right. we get You're to a right. point where we say under 300 watt hours and we're good, except, right? Except this and except that and except this. And so, yep. I, right. I mean, this is a, this is really technical stuff 
that, um, you know, even if you, you were bored and you want to sit down and start reading it and make yourself smart on it, you'll turn yourself into a circle without, without real practical hands-on type of information because um, the regulation has exceptions and it says, and if, and but, and therefore, and uh, you really get turned around on it, um, you know, quite easily. And that's the, that's the challenge, I think, when we start thinking about as an entire industry going from zero to 60 for something that, that we just haven't done. And now we're talking about shipping stuff to and from South Korea, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, you know, say nothing about, you know, the, the more, you know, kind of Germany and Belgium and, uh, and Poland and all these other places. I mean, just even in the States, these requirements are, you know, yeah, I think we can probably at some point get to like a matrix, you know, that helps out and says, if this, then this, but I mean, that's, um, that, that's what, that's what some of the things I think we got to focus on. And, uh, and Pete, if, I mean, this has all been great. We got 150 people still online, so everybody's interested. Um, unless you have something else you want to get into specifically, I was going to start running down a list of chat questions here and seeing if we can get some quick answers on some of these. Um, and then, you do know, you want to do you want to go over an e-bike real quick as an example because it's a little different than the 300 watt hour yeah, sure. exception? Or do we want to do the the questions? I seen a question come across about it. We may be able to take care of that when we go through the questions. All right. I, I would say let's try and answer these questions, you know, quickly if we can get to them and, um, you know, illuminating to the extent that we can. But if we can maybe get some and, and you might not know all the answers to this, um, even though you're the uh, all being master of time, space and dimension on lithium batteries here. But uh, um, Ray, I'll give it question. my best shot. Yeah. Ray had a question all the way back uh, at the beginning that said, what would what would need to be listed on a bill of lading? Uh, for this anything is that is that something that has to be called out there there's depending on the the exception that you're using if, if you're going of what mode of, of transport and different things uh with that without going through every single paragraph you know in every situation i don't want to miss uh lead you on exact uh documentation but in some cases yes in some cases there would be no um information required as far as uh, shipping paper because when we when we refer to the bill of lading uh, under hazardous materials we call it a shipping paper and when you need a shipping paper is when you actually have to fully regulate it with the proper shipping name the un number and the the hazard class so hopefully that work helps all right thank you uh, mark helder says and, and again mark i don't know that we have the answer to this but how is someone in the some person moving or the agent performing the move intended to determine all the lithium battery items from battery items that are not lithium battery, um, especially if they are, are in or not in their original packaging. I mean, again, I think to some extent we've tried to raise that in our working group that, uh, and GSA has brought this up in the working group too, that the member themselves have to have some, um, um, you know, skin in this game as well in terms of identifying what are their lithium batteries. But I think still as a shipper, even if it's not identified, I don't know, and you might understand that better than me, Pete, in terms of the regulations of, you know, identifying what, what might be obvious or what you can do. I, I don't know if there's a way that somebody kind of doesn't have liability now because it wasn't identified to them by the shipper. 
through investigation, they'll try to figure out who's the who's liable for it. Just like, um, you know, if a person, let's say I work for ABC and uh, they tell me I need to take 62 lithium batteries on the plane to, to have a project when I arrive. Um, and then I put it in my check baggage and they find that I've offered it for check baggage. They're going to do investigations and find out, uh, you know, was it the individual? Was it the, the person who bought the ticket? All of that kind of resources. I, I'm not in the enforcement side of that. Um, but on the, on the training side, um, the, the lithium batteries are so common now it might be more about talking like what I was doing is if you plug it in, is it type of an electronic, it would be a simple question and answer type thing um, to do that, but it would be more visual. You know, like when you go to the airport, they say, are you transporting hazardous materials? Everybody checks no, otherwise you can't get on the plane. Right. So that's really doesn't, it's kind of defeating the whole purpose of, in my opinion, of making people aware of it. Right. So right. it's just more of being aware. And then, since 2009, it is required that the manufacturer actually marks the watt hours and the stuff on the lithium ion batteries. So more and more uh, external lithium batteries are going to be easier to identify because it's going to say it on there. So Emily asked a question, and I'm jumping around a little bit, but since you just brought it up, I'll bring it in here. What if what if that is rubbed off on a battery? Like you have a used lithium battery, that that watt hour marking or something is scraped off, rubbed off. Is that then therefore not safe for transport at that point? Or I would say it's still as long as there's no visible damage or anything to it. You know, like sometimes you'll see where a battery gets swollen or stuff like that. Then, but if it's just because of the the marking is no longer there, I always say uh, ask Siri, right, or, or Google it. Uh, and people laugh at at me about it, but there's a lot of information out there that where you can find it. And then if if there's any doubt in your mind, don't ship it. That that should be the number one thing. Is if there's any doubt in someone's mind, uh, don't don't offer it for transport at all. I mean, and I know that it's a business of where it's driven by dollars and cents. Uh, I understand that, but there's lots of businesses that are done that way. But that's the way I would, I would say, um, so, so it, and then, I don't have any, I don't have any control over the right. no carrier not I'm just saying about on the safety side. Right. And, and again, I think that's something Pete, when you and I are in this working group with DOD, right? Um, our TSPs are going to get into a battle at some point with somebody over, I don't think it's safe, move, the, the customer wants it moved, and then therefore, what is the personal property shipping office going to force the TSP to take a shipment or, uh, you know, as I relayed before, face suspension because, you know, there's no reason you can't move this and all these kind of things. So I think, you know, we got to get into some of those conversations in the working group so that there's an understanding and policy that, Hey, you know, there's got to be some determination made that something may or may not be, you know, if you, if you don't, if all else fails and you don't feel safe about it, then you shouldn't ship it. But uh, that's going to be a tough one, frankly, because it's a judgment. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to keep going down this list, but first I'm going to let Chris Lance talk because he's impatiently waiting over there with his hand up. Hey Pete, quick question or two. Um, one, is, can't, can training or does training need to be provided to the agents handling these batteries or is it, I don't want to say it's easy, but if we recognize the batteries as those that need to be packaged and shipped properly, is that the extent of it? I'll let you answer that first. Yes, we need training, but there's some exceptions 
to what extent of the training it is. Typically, whenever you transport anything under the regulations, 172-700 says you have to have uh, function-specific, and I'm not going to go into every one of those, but function-specific training. But under the paragraph 173-185, uh, C, there's some requirements in there. There's where the training is not required as long as you meet the requirements of the regulation. So it could be as, as simple as as far as reading and knowing what you've read and make sure you're following the rules. But the main thing is if you ship something under an exception and you don't follow it completely, let me say you put two batteries in there and they short circuit and they catch on fire. All right. They're going to come back and fine you for not being in compliance with the whole regulation and say that you have not been trained, you have not marked, you have not labeled, you have not done all of that uh, packaging. They're not going to say you just didn't, you missed a step on the exceptions. And there's lots of, uh, not necessarily just in household goods, but there's lots of different examples of that, of where that's been done in the past uh, with regular batteries. Uh, dating back, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So, I'm gonna, all right. Well, Chris, I, I, I think Chris had a second part. He doesn't, he doesn't get a second question. He, we're <laughs> working on a list there. Right, you're done, Chris. I'll come back to him in a second. I'm going to bring in real quick, George Kirshner. George, are you on the line still? I am. I'm going to jump off here in about three minutes. So. All right. So, so perfect. We wanted you for three minutes. Um, George and I were talking yesterday, uh, Real Solutions Group brought them to me and George is in the uh, Rechargeable Battery Association and, and some other roles, but uh, talking about exceptions and, um, and just wanted to hear your thoughts on, on the conversation about potentially, you know, maybe seeking some exceptions for the DOD, GSA, Department of State, Household Goods Moving kind of thing and, and whether or not that would be something that might even be realistic or not realistic. Yeah. So first of all, hey, Pete, really nice job on the uh, on, on the webinar here. It's, it's a complex issue and, and I think you did a nice job explaining all of it. So uh, there FEMSA often issues special permits or approvals uh, to companies if they can't meet all the requirements of 49 CFR. If you've got a legitimate argument to say, you know, you can't meet these requirements because it's unique situations in your industry or in your company, they'll issue a permit or approval and maybe give you some relief from the 49 CFR requirements. The, the, the balance there is, can you provide an equivalent level of safety to the regulations uh, if they give you that permit or approval? So I had mentioned that to, to Daniel when we were exchanging emails yesterday. So that's just one thing I wanted to throw out there that the full compliance with the 49 CFR when it comes to lithium batteries for your industry is going to be an ongoing challenge. And maybe there's some relief, at least here domestically, you can get from FIMSA through the permit or approval process. So I'll just leave it at that. So, um, and for 30 seconds, someone asked me to introduce myself earlier. So as Daniel said, I'm with a trade association based in uh, Washington, DC, known as PRBA. Um, and we've been around since 1991. And these transport issues are something that we live and breathe on a regular basis. We have a seat at the United Nations where they write these regs and it's it absolutely consumes you know many companies apple gm toyota hp you name it um and so what you're dealing with there now is, is something they've been dealing with for for 20 years since lithium-ion batteries have been in the marketplace but if there's anything i can do to help going forward please reach out um i have to duck off here for a two o'clock call but I'm, i really appreciate the opportunity to listen in to uh to this discussion because it's been really interesting to, to look at the questions respond to the questions and and hear 
um, all the questions in, in Pete's explanation. So he's right on in, in everything that he said there for sure. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. Thanks for uh, okay. participating. All right, I'm gonna again try and get back to this. And some of these questions are, you know, really Pete can't answer. But um, Scott asked, can we or should we refuse the transport items if they do not meet the qualifications uh, to ensure safe transportation? And and I guess what I would say is yes. But what are the qualifications to not meet safe transportation? Right. I, that that's the determining factor, I guess. Um, that would be difficult there. And again, you'd have to be willing to face whatever Department of Defense or one of the other federal agencies is, is you know, can you back that up in some way? What, what makes it um, um, not safe for transport? Um, uh, Dan, I, so I any, would say- So anything that's, I would say anything that's damaged, right? Uh, visually damaged, I mean, and I can show you in the book, and it, it does say in there that you can ship them if you buy this certain package and you can do this certain thing. And they have special permits for that. And, and what George was saying is not incorrect. But the issue is, is the DOT can issue that special permit, but that is only relief from the regulation. It doesn't mean that the carriers are going to accept it. It doesn't mean that everybody involved will accept that exception because I worked with a company on a batteries uh, to ship some uh, damaged ones and FedEx and UPS refused to ship them even though they were in a special permit from uh, FEMSA or the DOT. So th there's always case by case is what I'd like to make sure of that everybody knows. Yep. Dan, uh, if I could, it seems to me and, and you would know more so I'm gonna ask you and, and, and Pete, but the thinking in the Department of Defense has been, at least to this point, that lithium batteries are becoming so pervasive that they are not going to tell their members that they cannot move all of these different items that are contained in a household good shipment that has lithium batteries. So, for that reason, they're, they're transferring the responsibility to ensure proper movement to our industry. And the expectation is you're the experts in quotes in transportation. And so you need to bring yourself into a better understanding of the regulations and properly move the items. Um, and, and so they, they've thrown that on us and then I don't believe some uh, somebody was asking about, you know, why not just like uh, uh, a, a, a propane tank and not moving those kinds of things. Well, that that's one item where there could be 30, 40, 50 items in a household good shipment. And they're not going to tell their the their individual members they can't move multiple items in a shipment. And I, I think that's their mentality and something we're going to have to potentially overcome. Yeah. So I think, again, that certainly was the mentality initially when the first policy came out that you're responsible within 60 days to meet all these requirements. And again, I like to say this every time, regardless of DOD's policy, you're still responsible, right? It doesn't make any difference that they don't have policy because you're, as it's already defined in the regulation, you're helping put these things in commerce. So frankly, you have a requirement. Uh, this new effort with the new working group, I think it was a recognition that, hey, this is bigger than, than we thought maybe, and let's maybe see if we can get GSA and Department of State and DOD all on the same sheet because right now they 
they're not all on the same sheet in terms of that. Department of State will tell you that they don't allow uh, members to ship this kind of lithium battery stuff, even though I think they would probably go like this and know that some of it's actually probably being moved anyway, right? And people are making some of that happen and just not asking the questions, not, not doing the things that, that need to be done. Or I guess what I would say, and Pete Scott can, can throw in his opinion, um, I missed last Monday's meeting because I was on the road, but um, and maybe something new came of that. But we are putting together courses of action in that working group, and um, those you know kind of run the gamut from you're 100% responsible just like it is now to oh maybe you can only move things you know in the U.S. under 300 and overseas less than 100 um, those types of things. So there's different uh, COAs courses of action that people are looking at. Uh, do I think it'll come down to um, yeah, we have a requirement, we have a need from the DOD side, and this is what we want you to do. I do. I, I don't know how executable it is, frankly, right now in a very short period of time, um, but I, I, I suspect that that's definitely the way that people are leaning. Yes. I don't know, Pete, you have a different uh, opinion based on sitting in those same working groups. No, it's the, I agree with that. And, and they're bouncing all kinds of different ideas uh, around. Um, and right now, uh, I think they want to be further down the road, but they, they, they didn't realize how complex of an issue it is and all of the little details uh, that are in, in it. Uh, with it. And like what you guys have mentioned is, you know, people with years and years of experience of doing it, um, it it's still not a simple process. That's what I tell people. I mean, we can, we can make it, we can make it a little bit easier uh, that, and I say we, is just because we're participating in that uh, group is they can make it a little bit easier if um, they make some restrictions and different things like that. But ultimately there's still some uh, responsibility that we need to make sure that it's not getting on uh, in the transportation world. Yeah. All right. I, I see Kevin Meyer's hands up, and I'm going, but I'm going to hold for one second. I'm going to ask Allison um, had a question in the chat a while back. How do we connect the two, the CFR and the IMDG? This is what a lot of people are having trouble with. Do you understand that? I, and, and maybe yeah. Under well, I mean under under CFR forty nine, it's one seventy. Um, let me look here. 173. Uh, let's see. Basically under 171, 21, 2, and 3. That's where it authorizes the use of the IMDG. Because basically, if you go to, through, or from the US, you have to follow CFR 49. But it does say if you're using the international regulations, which it may be IATA or IMDG, it does say in those paragraphs that it does meet the requirement of that regulation. It's okay to ship it under or in the United States. So it kind of, it all comes from the UN recommendations and they adopt stuff from the UN recommendations to in the regulations. So with all the committees and everything, a lot of it looks the same now. When I started back in 1990, there was lots of uh, not, familiar things, lots of different things. And they figured because they're going to put more pressure to getting people to comply and everybody to comply and enforce that they wanted to harmonize the regulations. And that's what they've been doing for the last 30 some years is harmonizing it. So a lot of things you find in the IMDG will be in the CFR 49. And, and for the uninitiated, IMDG is the Inter, uh, International Maritime Dangerous Goods Regulation, IMDG. 
Um, Pete, it is 2.02 and we want to be respectful of your time. I still have um, 40 new uh, chat messages here and 131 people have stuck around so far. So I don't know how far you can go past right now, the top of the hour. It's totally on you. I'll stick around for as long as we need. I'm good. But, uh, I've got, I can answer as many as you're willing to, to do. I, I have blocked another 30 minutes, so I'm good. Okay. All right. Well, then we're going to keep going. Then uh, I see my my uh, participant ticker is rolling down a little bit, but that's right. We still got 130 people online interested in this topic. So Richard says, um, even if class nine is exempted from placarding per 49 CFR, it is still regulated. So all the requirements for description on transportation documents, employee training, all apply, question mark. Depending, depending on what it is. I mean, I didn't get super in depth because I was just trying to give generalities, but it just depending on what it is. If let's, let's go to the battery powered vehicle, all right? And let's go to an e-bike. Under the, under the requirements, uh, it says that it has to be marked and labeled and everything, but there is a, a special provision and there is a, an IMDG and in 49 where it says, you do not have to mark and label uh, vehicles because you can visually see it. If you put it inside a box or inside a crate, now you're gonna have to mark and label it. And then there's requirements for, for placarding by vessel, right? Because it basically vessel, and for the most part, I'm just saying, if you have to label it, and when I say label it, it's the hazard labels, if you have to label a, a package and you put it inside a container or inside a box where you can't see it, you have to placard it on the outside. There's no uh, the weight limitations or anything. The outside of the container, yes. So at what point now, I'm going to switch back to domestic real quick here. At what point domestically truck does a driver need a hazardous material endorsement to move? You know, is that something that from a household goods perspective, we would really ever get into at that level? Okay, so that's under another CFR 49 requirement. That's under parts uh, 385, I believe. I'm not 100% on that, 380 to whatever, but that is under the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations. And what it basically says, in order to have a hazmat uh, CDL, which is run by the state, but basically you have to have a placarded amount according to CFR 49. So under CFR 49, most of it has to have a thousand pounds or more of the material in order to be placarded. So in that case, that's kind of the way that falls under CFR 49. And vehicles are accepted basically under the, the, the regulations going domestically. They don't have to label or placard. Like you see all these transport uh, vehicles that are carrying uh, all the, well, there's not many cars they're carrying anymore, but they were carrying cars. Um, but anyways, the car transports, they don't have placards on them. And it's because in the regulation, there's an exception that says they don't. So, but we're not moving vehicles under the DOD program. They have a separate no, but, contract. But when you go to e-bikes, that yeah. falls under the battery powered gotcha. vehicle. And it still takes you to 173, 220, which gives you the exception that you don't have to um, do anything if you're moving it by highway. So I think what you are saying is we would rarely, maybe never have to have that level of for our drivers to have. Um, no, no, okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that you would fit into that at all. 
I mean, I don't foresee, you know, you, it's hard to say in the future, but for right now, I don't see anything that would make you be placarded and see if you have to placard and have a CDL that also drives you the way I understand. I'm not an expert in that, that you have different insurance requirements, different drug and alcohol testing, all of that other good stuff that drives that uh, to the transport company. But I do have I do have a division in my division that handles motor carriers. So if you have motor carrier questions, I could take care of those. I just have to redirect the question. All right. Um, I'll take one quick break and go to Kevin Myers. Kevin, you had your hand up. I don't know if it's still up or not. Yeah, I, I just kind of want to fill in a little bit on Monday, what we talked about, the uh, you know, the, claim, the claim side of it, because these batteries are going to degrade uh, while it's in storage. And so therefore it's gonna be a claims issue too because the customers are gonna come out and try to submit a claim because their batteries no longer hold the charge. So, so that's been identified. Long-term storage was identified. And also we kind of talked quite a bit about standardization. Is it smarter to go to 100 watts for all shipments instead of 300 for domestic, 100 for international? Because you're gonna have times where storage will come into place or, or you, know, you have an international shipment that you know, may not go into storage or a domestic one that all of a sudden was in storage and then it gets reshipped on a new GBL that has a 300 watt you know, battery in there. And uh, now you can't ship it, plus the idea of identifying where those batteries are in the shipment. Is it in carton 25 and so forth? So a lot of confirm, uh, you know, con conversions about that conversations. Uh, and then also, too, it was brought up in the meeting about conversions to owner's expense because some state laws may have a different law with dealing with hazardous material storage when it converts. So just kind of wanted to bring you up a little bit to speed. So. so Dan, what I would say coming out of this and we can continue the conversation is the complexity of this issue is, is obvious. And I think in your comments to uh, the proposed changes in the rules, which are due next Monday. Monday. Um, I'd ask everybody to, to make comments about their concern in meeting the May deadline for all that needs to be done in that time frame. The training, being able to get the proper labeling, understanding the full processes, domestic, international, air, sea, et cetera. So just, uh, again, the more people comment commenting about the complexity and the concerns about this issue, the better. So Pete, I'm gonna ask you an unfair question and you can totally say, nope, I'm gonna beg off. I'm not gonna answer that because um, it is it is kind of <laughs> unfair, but it's kind of at the top of our minds, right? You do training, uh, uh, you, you do classes for training. We've talked about maybe there could be a lithium specific training since you know we don't need to create people who are experts in all hazards, right? Just lithium. But you said at the beginning that you guys do about 6,000 per year in your training. Um, is there a capability in TSI for adding hundreds, thousands more people, right? And, and some of those are international. So I don't even know where people would go if they're, if they're German residents, right? And they're, they're at the port and they're, or they're uh, origin agents, destination, destination agents on that side to get their training. But you think, you know, you were in the military, the breadth of where the military goes to and from, we talk 300,000 shipments a year type of thing. Um, do you think that that training is capable between now and May to get everybody kind of where they need to be? It would, 
it'll be difficult, you know, but you got to start somewhere, right? Right. So uh, we can handle quite a bit. One thing with the lithium batteries is we do lithium battery classes now. Most of them are a, a one day. We can do it uh, on Zoom. We can we can do it in person. Some of it is a day and a half, depending on uh, what the customer requests and what they want. Because the more modes of transport you add in, the little different twists and things in the discussions. Like, you know, I uh, today I didn't really know what kind of questions and things we were going to get and how in depth and stuff. So I kept it kind of general. But when you get more in depth and you get people that are are shipping it or have more concern, not saying you don't have concerns, but more in depth on what you're talking about with the battery. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer to go over those stuff. But I think like what we talked initially, uh, Dan, about uh, with you and Chuck is that we may be able to do some very specific type of things like, hey, this is if you're doing by highway for these items, we can do it for this amount of time. We can do this many people in Zoom um, and, and, and then expand from there, right? And that's kind of what I had uh, I've always said is maybe we need to do a, a segment of where anybody that wants to join in for this part of it, training, it's going to be uh, X amount of hours for ground. If you also want the IMDG portion, this is another session tomorrow that's going to cover that and another session uh, for the air, but they're going to be shorter because we're going to build on what we've already went over instead of starting over from scratch. So if you, you know, you start out with one group and you work through it and those who only need the ground portion don't have to come to the, the, the vessel in the air. And I think that's probably the best approach. And then even with the exceptions, it says training is not required, but as you guys have pointed out that there's a lot of little details in there that there's going to have to be some sort of uh, like I call familiarization training right or awareness training uh, just to make them aware of what that requirement is because you you still have to meet the requirement even though they say formal training is not required you still have to know what it is to meet that if hopefully that makes sense yeah yeah I mean Again, you got to walk into a house and there might be something that isn't accepted anymore, right? So you have to be trained enough to know that I have I, I either do or I don't have a requirement here. So that's that's the kind of rub of it. You can say training is not required, except you have to understand when training is or isn't required because you have to understand when things have a shipping. And not accept. And, and if, if that's the direction that they go. And they put a limitation on what watt hour is acceptable and what's not, then you're going to have to do a training of, okay, if it's over this, we can't take it. If it's under this, here's the minimum you have to do, right? And and I think we can do that in, in many different uh, types of avenues uh, of training and and with the, the Zoom stuff, is it the, the very best? Some people say, we've been doing it for over two years. And I haven't heard anybody come back to us and say our people has have been shipping stuff improperly because you talk to them on Zoom instead of in person. Yeah. So is it a viable way? Yes. Is it actually where everybody likes it? No. But can it can it help us meet the requirements? And will we have more than what we had before? I would say yes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask this, this back to domestic and truck. And then when it crosses into Canada. So, you know, we talked a little bit about the requirements or lack of requirements or whatever on domestic truck, but does that same requirement apply to in Canada? And I think the answer is Canada has a, a little higher requirement, right? 
we we used to say what was good for Canada was good for the United States and what was good for the United States was good for Canada. But then each of them started nitpicking each other. So they started <laughs> making a little bit of twists here and there. So the way I understand it is that uh, they have uh, the watt hours differences is a little different when you cross over into Canada. Um, but I can find that out for sure. I can ask where we, we do training for the transportation of dangerous goods uh, enforcement folks, um, the Transport Canada. Uh, we actually just set another class for them in November. So I have a, a, a good point of contact up there and I can ask them about that too. And, and, and George, when more he was online, answered in the chat that he believed that it was 100 watt hours in Canada as opposed to the 300 in the US. So domestic- And it used to be- it used to be the 300 was acceptable until we started nitpicking their cargo tanks and then they started nitpicking us. But that that has nothing to do with this group. It just, that's the way it goes. Right. Um, Charlene asked, does each battery need to be an individual box and then inside another box or can we put all lithium batteries together into one box? That is possible depending on, you know, can you pack them correctly so that they don't, you know, they don't uh, um, short circuit or they don't cause any problems or damage one another while they're being uh, transported. And then you have to make sure each of the, the batteries are, are, um, are less than the 300 watt hours if we're talking domestically, right, by truck. And then also, I would not remove, I, if I have a piece of equipment that has a battery in it and I'm gonna ship the battery with that shipment, the, the, the equipment is designed to have that battery. So in my mind, it's safe to transport it in there. Sometimes people say, take it out. That, that uh, piece of equipment is designed for that. So if it's all possible, transport it together. Does that make sense? Because it already has safety means and things on it um for for that uh, battery and it operates just fine uh with it right so that's that's how i would put it copy um let's see it kind of still going there somebody wants to know how the truck fire that i talked about earlier happened and i don't have a lot of details on it but i will say um from what i understand it had to do with um and i don't have the definitive answer it had to do with uh the moving companies and their employees having uh, um, tools that used lithium batteries, and those got left someplace where they shouldn't have been and uh, uh, sparked a fire and burned up the trailer. Um, that's, uh, that's, you know, the, the, the power tools is a very common thing that everybody's using now. And, and that's what I'm meaning is that, and they're getting more and more powerful batteries they're, they're making those flex batteries that go from 20 watt to 60 volt or 20 volt to 60 volt. And then it, I wish George was on, he probably knows more about, about that batteries, but the little bit that I've been looking and seeing about that, it, it's just gonna get more and more on the watt hour side. Yep. And again, uh, uh, we talked about this a little bit. Mark Helders asked, do we have to determine ourselves what the watt hours are with a customer? And again, Mark, I think that's gonna be you know, working through through the requirements in this working group and the policy on how that happens. But even the initial policy that Transcom put out said that the, the customer, um, I don't know if it said must or said should uh, identify uh, items with lithium batteries. So it's a little, little gray right now is what I would say. 
Dan, um, about about time to wrap it up, I think. All right. We got uh I'm I'm missing out on literally probably a uh, hundred chat messages here. But so, um so what that means is they will all have to sign up for the IAM annual meeting November 2nd through 5th in uh Hotlanta, Georgia, the Hyatt Regency Hotel, and come back and see and ask those questions face to face with Pete. Yep. And uh, so, again, we're, we're working through trying to find where that slot is. Obviously, there's a lot of interest in this topic. Um, we're all trying to get smarter on it and figure out all these little details. But it is um, even it's not just technical. I'm saying it's overly technical um, as far as I'm concerned, as far as working through that. But, uh, Pete, you've done a great job and a great resource for us here at IAM. So really appreciate your time. And uh um, working with us and, and trying to sort through this and, and come up with solutions based on what the federal government DOD comes up with as their policy long term on, on getting this book, whatever it is, I think there's work to be done, almost uh, in the smorgasbord of potential policies, there's work to be done here on the moving side, I think, and uh, we got to start bending our minds in that direction to figure out how we accomplish some of this and, and certainly your expertise will help us through that process and I'll leave the final word to you, Pete. I just uh try to if you have questions i mean i'll work with dan and, and chuck to try to answer those if we can get back to them and like you said if we could see you again uh we'll answer those um questions with that and uh an hour as you know is very very short of trying to get too in depth on that information uh, as far as that but uh anytime you have any issues just let me know Thanks. And Carl, could you capture the chat for me and make sure I get a copy of that? Because there's a lot of things I haven't even read yet. Anything for you, Dan. <laughs> all right. You're good. Um, all right, everybody. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for your time and attendance. And uh, we're out here and we'll talk more lithium batteries, uh, unfortunately, I think it's sometime in the near future. Thanks. Thanks, Pete. Thank, thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Pete. Thank you for listening to the IAM podcast. If there's ever anything you need from IAM, you can contact us at membership at iamovers.org or contact us by going to the contact us page on the IAM website at iamovers.org. Thank you for joining us and we will talk to you next time. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. We want to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash iamovers slash message. I will also put the link in the show notes so you can click on it right there.